Have you ever found yourself hungry for words? Hungry for Words is the theme of this year's International Children's Book Day, the worldwide, multinational, and multicultural celebration of children's literature that took place this past Thursday. Now, maybe you've never heard of International Children's Book Day or the International Board of Books for Young People, the organization that hosts this annual event, but I'd be willing to bet that each and every person listening has at one time or another found themselves hungry for a book. When I was young, the book that used to satiate my appetite for stories was the Dr. Seuss classic, Horton Hears a Who. I would ask for it every night until I could recite it all, line by line and rhyme by rhyme. Growing up, I can say that I never once lost touch with that hunger for words. But things change, and of course, our lives get busy. It's now so easy to fix our cravings with news headlines, blog articles, social media updates, junk food reading, really. It's much harder for us to pause, to sit down regularly, and to savor the fulsome flavor that comes from a slow-cooked literary dinner. But the good news is that anyone can rediscover their hunger for words. There are thousands of wonderful, nutritious books on which we can dine. Novels, short stories, drama, poetry, and yes, of course, beautiful picture books for both children and adults. So grab your spoon, find a space at the table, and let's dive in. Let us feast on words together. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf, where great books are always on the menu. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf. You're listening to us on Midtown Radio. My name is Allison Dijak, and I'm here today with my co-host, Serena McDermott. Hello. And Matt Rappolt. Great to be with you today. Hi, guys. So today we are celebrating International Children's Book Day, which happened just this Thursday on April 2nd. So this day is put on by the International Board on Books for Young People, or IBI is their short form. And each year, a different country that belongs to IBI is the sponsor for this day. So this year, the host country was Slovenia, and they came up with the beautiful theme for this year, A Hunger for Words. So Serena and Matt, what do you guys make of this phrase, A Hunger for Words? Well, I think it's a it's just a great uh, tagline for the um, for the International Children's Book Day because I really remember growing up that I always felt that hunger for words. I remember lots of times where I would get a new book and I'd spend all night just devouring that book under the covers with the flashlight, um, and I just could not get enough. So I think that phrase, a hunger for words, really does capture the feeling that young people, children, um, have towards literature. I think it's a phenomenal title. Yeah, this um, theme really had me thinking about 
like what they meant by words. When I heard of a hunger for words, I was thinking about how this really represents like a hunger for narratives and stories and a hunger for being uh, represented and seeing yourself on the page and a hunger for being transported and experiencing new things. It just got me thinking about all those different things that words can represent for a reader. So I, I also really like that theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the special things about this is that um, that feeling that you get when you have an author that's put a feeling that you have into words, and it's something that you know you something experience, you've experienced it or an emotion you're feeling, and they've been able to capture that in such an eloquent way. I think that is like you feel satiated when you read that, right? It kind of fulfills that feeling of of uh, that hunger that you've had of maybe not being able to explain something. So that's really. What a great phrase that they've chosen. So when choosing our books for this week, the theme of Children's Book Day was a little bit too broad, so we decided to explore a few more of the initiatives that Ibby has, and we came across the Hans Christian Andersen Award. So this award recognizes lifetime achievement in making an important and lasting contribution to children's literature, and it is given out every two years to an illustrator and an author. And so this year, very excitingly, the Canadian illustrator Isabel Arsenault has made the shortlist and is in the running among five other illustrators around the world for this prestigious prize. So we have decided today to share books illustrated by Isabel Arsenault. And although we can't share the illustrations with you, we hope that this will inspire you to explore some of her work. But before we jump into our books today, we're gonna start off with a song that I felt captured the spirit of an illustrator. You know, uh, their illustrations just taking them into another world and flying away onto a new land that they've created through their art. So this is Come Fly Away by Jeremy Fisher. Don't wanna leave, but I 
Come Fly Away by Jeremy Fisher. If you're just joining us now, welcome to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. My name's Allison, and I'm here with Serena and Matt, and we are celebrating International Children's Book Day. So, Serena, what book did you bring for us today? I bought, I brought a book that is illustrated by our feature illustrator, Isabel Arsenault. This book is called Virginia Woolf. This is Virginia Woolf, like the animal, W-O-L-F, not like the author, Virginia Woolf, but uh, it is loosely based on some of the life events of the author, Virginia Woolf. So in this book, uh, which is written by Kyle McClear, you're going to hear about two sisters and yeah, just how their, um, how art kind of impacts their lives. So I also have some quotes from Isabel Arsenault. Um, She spoke about her use of illustration in this book. So at the beginning of the book, she says, for this first part of the book, she wanted the visual to look faded. She worked with pencils, charcoal, and ink, and used a limited color palette composed mainly of gray tones, a light blue, with just touches of yellow and red. So I hope that can, can help set the scene for you. So here's the book. One day, my sister Virginia woke up feeling wolfish. She made wolf sounds and did strange things. When I painted her picture, she growled, Vanessa, don't! When her friends rang the doorbell, she moaned, I'm not home! She scared everyone away. She said, Do not wear that cheerful yellow dress. My favorite dress. Do not brush your teeth so loudly. She even told the bird to stop that racket. She was a very bossy wolf. Now here, Isabel Arsenault says that the style switches to something more minimalist. So this is when everything actually turns to black silhouettes on the page. And actually, um, you you see Virginia, her form becomes that of a wolf. Now the text picks up. The whole house sank. Up became down, bright became dim, glad became gloom. I did my best to cheer her up. I offered her treats. She wolfed them all down. But it made no difference. Nothing pleased her. Not the cat, not my violin, not even making faces at our brother Toby. She pulled up her covers and said, Leave me alone! Then she said nothing to anybody. Now, Vanessa asks a question of her sister Virginia at this point. 
about what could make her feel better. And uh, Virginia tells her, if I were flying right now, I might feel better. So Virginia decides um, that she would like to go to a magical place called Bloomsbury. And Vanessa tries to find it on the map, but ultimately realizes that it doesn't exist and she must create it. She begins to paint and uh, Isabel Arsenault says at this point that she cho chose to present this particular spread where Vanessa starts painting on the walls. You can see her hand represented as a black silhouette, but what she paints becomes a full color image. So through her illustrations, Arsenault is able to really change the tone of the book. So let's pick up again in the story. My sister woke up. At first, she was too busy howling at the moon to notice what I was doing. I painted a swing and a ladder that reached up to the windows so that what was down could climb up. My sister started to pay attention. I brought the outside inside. I painted floating petals that looked like confetti. My sister stood up and helped. She said wolves like to wander around, so we painted a field with a big roaming space. We made turquoise birds and purple butterflies out of colored paper, and Virginia told a story about a gray-shelled snail that passed along the earth and reached the top of a mountain without realizing it. The whole house lifted. Down became up. Dim became bright. Gloom became glad. When we were done, it was past midnight. Everyone slept soundly. And then when we see their work the next day, Vanessa notices that Virginia is looking different. Suddenly that wolf shape has morphed back into a girl. Uh, Vanessa says, she looked much different. So I asked her how she felt. Much better, she said, looking a bit sheepish. Do you really feel better? I asked. Yes, she smiled and took my hand. Now let's go out and play. And that is Virginia Woolf. So Isabel Arsenault actually um, commented on the end of the book and she says, this book has such a good ending that I invite you to discover. It is ultimately a feel good celebration of the power of imagination and art to create perfect places in the world where none can be found. So I wanted to ask you too about your reflections on that, that quote, the power of imagination and art to create perfect places in the world where none can be found. <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's a beautiful quote and wow, what a beautiful story. I could I, I appreciate your descriptions of the illustrations because I could really kind of picture my own version in my head. I really liked that. <clears throat> yeah, I think um I really liked this as a possible teaching tool to dive into art projects um, that maybe you would use like around a school, like post them around the school as a way to empower or inspire other students. Mm -hmm. I thought that this was a really great message um, for, for kids and also for adults about how art can create change in the world and can inspire people and, and affect their mood. And I think seeing the illustrations through the book um, is a good way to is a good way to show students how illustrations can change their the feeling of mm -hmm. words. Matt, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share? Yeah, the, the uh, I love the quote about the power the power of imagination um, creating perfect places because I mean imagination is such a personal thing, and sometimes if you can't find 
something or a safe place or you don't feel comfortable um, in the world around you or, or in, your, um, in your social surroundings. I mean, the, the power of imagination really does offer a haven or a comfort for you. And art can be that creative vessel that allows you to experience that imagination and bring that into the world. So you can bring some of that safety and bring some of that comfort into out of your imagination and into the world and find safety in, in, that, in that space. So I think it's a beautiful uh, quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult to share a feeling, you know, just in a conversation. Um, so being able to express that feeling through art, I think is really important for a lot of people, you know, whether it's through a painting or drawing or creative writing or music. Um, I know that there's been a lot of times where I've struggled with things in my life and, you know, I turn to songwriting or even just listening to uh, music that I find expresses my feelings in a better way that I can. Um, art is a really powerful thing that can kind of help guide us when we're not really sure how we're feeling. And just the same way that words and language can create change in the world, art is a language just like the spoken language or just like the written language. And it has the same, if not more power, uh, to be able to influence the way people are feeling and to create change both within, within people and within society as well. I guess we should remind our, our listeners as well that uh, Matt and Allison are actually artists themselves, musical artists in the band I the Mountain. And you guys had some exciting uh, developments this week in your band, right? Yeah, that was really fun. We released our, our, um, our debut album. And I mean, that does just sort of what we were, like what we were talking about, releasing a little bit of your creativity out in the world. It does really create sort of that perfect feeling or that perfect place in your mind it feels really gratifying to be able to take what you have in your imagination and put it out into the world yeah exactly and it was so nice we got a lot of messages from people saying that you know listening to our music helped kind of bring a little bit of joy to their day during this weird time in our world so it's it's really amazing that music can just make make people feel um <laughs> feel differently and you know there's there's such a power behind it so Speaking of music, uh, Serena, did you bring a song for us today? I did, yes. And before I introduce it, I'll just say mm -hmm. that I was actually dancing with my daughter to your album this oh, morning. thank you. Uh, yeah, so we definitely had some fun <laughs> with that. Oh, um, I brought another really joyful song. Uh, this is from an artist who it lives in Nunavut. It's called Playing in the Snow, and you're going to hear... Um, some ukulele and also some throat singing in it. It's such a, a neat oh. song. So this is Plain in the Snow by Asiva. <laughs>
You just heard Playing in the Snow by Asiva. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. Today we are celebrating International Children's Book Day by looking at books by illustrator Isabel Arsenault, who is shortlisted for the Hans Christian Andersen Award this year. So Matt, what book did you bring in today? Thanks, Alison. Um, I brought in the book The Cloth Lullaby, which is written by Amy Nevesky and, of course, illustrated by Isabel Arsenault. And The Cloth Lullaby is actually a biographical picture book. It tells the story of the life of Louise Bourgeois, who, is, uh, who was a French artist, sculptor, painter, and most significantly, a weaver. So Louise is mostly known for her giant steel and bronze spider sculptures that she called Maman, which she created to represent her mother, who was also a tapestry weaver and repairer. And there are only seven of these amazing sculptures in the world. And the cool thing is that one of those uh, seven sculptures is actually here in Canada and is on display outside of the National uh, Gallery of Canada in Ottawa. And the illustrations for this book are simply extraordinary. Uh, Arsenault uses beautiful pen and ink illustration, illustrations that are inspired by this theme of a river uh, running through the text. And there's lots of muted blues, pinks, and reds. And notably, she also uses a lot of patterns, actually, because um, Louise Bourgeois was a weaver, and a lot of her work featured a lot of different weaving patterns. So the illustrations are simply gorgeous. And the book has actually won a lot of prizes as well. It won the prestigious Bologna Ragazzi Award for Art. It was a Kirkus Best Book of the Year and also a selection of the Junior Library Guild. So it's a highly decorated book, very well celebrated, and really a book that we should that everyone should check out. Wow, looking forward the, to it. The book is called The Cloth Lullaby, and here we go. Louise was raised by a river. Her family lived in a big house on the water that wove like a wool thread through everything. The river provided flowers, fruit, a lullaby, and a livelihood. Louise's family restored tapestries, art woven from wool, and the wool loved the tannin-rich waters which cleansed and strengthened it and allowed it to soak up color. At the family's workshop, Louise's mother, like her mother before her, repaired fabric grown threadbare with time. She loved to work in the sun, her needle rising and falling beside the lilting river, with perfect, delicate spiderwebs glinting with drops of water caught above her. Louise's mother taught her about the warp and the weft and how to weave the tools of their trade. She was her best friend, deliberate, patient, soothing, subtle, indispensable and as useful as a spider. Now, very sadly, Louise's mother passed away when Louise was 21, and that event left Louise so stricken with grief that she actually threw herself into the river and her father had to come and save her. Louise followed her river to Paris, into the Seine. Little did she know that her beloved river would soon be gone, filled in, 
flowing no longer with the waters the wool loved, but with cars on their way to the city. At university, she studied mathematics. She liked subjects with stability and order. She was deeply disappointed to learn that math, like life, is uncertain. Louise drew, she painted, she wove, she missed her mother so much that she sculpted giant spiders made of bronze, steel, and marble she named Maman. Louise gathered all the fabric of her life, all the dresses and garments her father had bought her, all of the bed linens, towels, and tablecloths, all of her new husband's handkerchiefs, and she cut it all up. Then she spent the rest of her life putting it back together. She sewed, she stitched, she reworked, she wove, she sewed smaller, sweeter spiders, one woven of soft colored ribbon, another of cloth, delicate metal. She made cloth drawings and cloth books. Weaving was her way to make things whole. With the remaining fabric of her life, Louise wove together a cloth lullaby. She wove the river that raised her. She wove her mother weaving in the sun a girl falling asleep beneath the stars, and everything she'd ever loved. When she was done, her spiders beside her, she held the river and let it rock her gently again. And that's the end. What are your thoughts on the book? What did you think of the language that, that was used? I really loved um, just the way that Aunt, uh, Amy Novesky used adjectives and used descriptive descriptive imagery to paint that picture of Louise's work and her life. I also really loved the how the wool sort of becomes its own character in the book. Like the wool loves the water, the river. Like that's really beautiful as well. Like giving attributing that emotion to the wool itself and bringing it to life. Yeah, that's that's something that's uh, embodied in the artwork as well. There's one beautiful picture. Uh, I think it's the one where Louise goes to Paris, where you see the the river is, that where it says that uh, that Louise followed the river, and you see that the river has actually becomes wool. So the um, the water the water twists up and twists and folds over itself as a piece of yarn, and then on the other end, it's the river, uh, the Seine River of Paris. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a really really beautiful book. I love that. Um... They were able to describe the craft of weaving so vividly, you know, the needle going up and down and up and down out in the sun. Like that was, it's, uh, it seems like such a simple activity, but it's really neat to hear it described in such an intricate, intricate way. Interesting mm -hmm. how both of these books so far um, that Arsenault has illustrated both touch on, on arts, right? They touch on weaving and sculpting and painting. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I always yeah. kind of wonder how an illustrator chooses the books that they decide to illustrate, right? So I wonder if she searches out books that are connected to art in some way, or if people bring them to her. I, I've always wondered about that. Well, I think that like a, a book like this would provide um, a really interesting challenge for an illustrator, because how do you incorporate not just the text in the story, but also how do you represent 
and incorporate the artwork of this artist as well? How do you find a way to make that link between the story of her life and the art that she did? And the illustrations can be that link. And I really love how Arsenault has done that and used some of the patterns, used some of the same textures and used some of the same colors that uh, Louise Bourgeois used in her art as well. Mm-hmm. It's always tricky when you're trying to represent a real life story, right? To try to represent it in a way that seems accurate, but it's also the artist is able to take their own liberties with it and, and make it fit with their art style, but you still want to represent the story accurately and tell that story in a way that honors who it's about, right? Yeah, the fact that it was a biographical picture book, I found to be one of the most interesting and compelling parts of this particular story. What did you make of that, the fact that it was a biographical picture book? Have you seen a lot of these at schools or in bookstores recently? Yeah, I think those biographical picture books are really having a renaissance right now. There's so many of them on the market. And I think a big motivator of that is, you know, we're sort of rediscovering a lot of forgotten history. I see a lot of these books about um, people from marginalized groups whose stories really were sort of lost to history, but now we're able to recapture them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I like that people are able to learn and understand the story of a person, but in perhaps a more creative way um, and also in kind of a concise way. You know, picture books most of the time are kind of a concise story. They usually don't go too far over maybe 30 pages. Um, So it's a way to kind of encapsulate that person's life and learn about their story, but in this kind of little creative story on its own. You know, I I like that picture books are able to retell the story of someone's life, but in a really interesting way, you know, using that artful language um, and kind of giving us, I guess, not that, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of biographies as well, but just kind of maybe taking a few more liberties, making it a little bit more out there, I guess, than maybe a traditional biographical novel. And I think there's a lot... Oh, go ahead, Serena. Oh, I was just going to say that the the fact that we're talking about, about a real person too is also something really powerful. Like as Ellison says, these books, they can have such impactful language. And then when you go back to that that basic idea that this is not a fictitious story, this is something that has really happened, it can be all the more powerful. I think it also provides for authors an interesting challenge to be able to take uh, something that's as rich and as expansive as a human life and then bring it down into, like Allison said, just such a short short amount of text. Um, Amy uh, Amy Noveski, actually, she had a a quote about that. She talked about how writing picture books was her medium because it was almost like poetry. And at the end of the day, when it's almost like you're not even creating a a book, but you're telling uh, this person's life in a poem. And I think that's a really interesting challenge uh, that authors really gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes in picture books, you know, it doesn't always have to be these full sentences in this paragraph format. It can be words arranged on the page in an interesting way and, you know, words repeating themselves and just kind of arranged to tell exactly, exactly what the author wants to get across. Mm -hmm. And I think that really came through in this book with just the, the, the word choice that the author used. Great. So Matt, thanks so much for bringing that book today. That was lovely. I'm looking forward to taking a look at it sometime. Uh, What song did you bring for us today? 
So as I read the cloth lullaby, I kept coming back to that beautiful imagery that we, like we just mentioned, uh, the imagery of Louise's mother, her needle weaving in and out, up and down in time with the river beside her. I mean, this book is so delicate and so gentle. The words and the pictures flow together so perfectly that it's like they create their own little tapestry, just like Louise's mother made. And this song that I brought in is very much in the same, uh, in the same vein. Actually, when I got to the book's last line, she held the river and let it rock her gently again. I just kept hearing this song already playing in my head. It really is like a tapestry of music and it flows so well with the, um, the, the watery imagery that Isabel Arsenault creates. This is the title track from Joshua Hislop's album, In Deepest Blue.
just heard In Deepest Blue by Joshua Hislop. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf. Allison, what book did you bring in for us today? Well, I brought in today Spork by Kyle McClear and illustrated by, of course, Isabel Arsenault. So this book, Spork, as soon as I saw the front cover, I just thought, what is that? (laughs) Who would have thought to write a book about a spork? So I was immediately really, really interested. Um, And the funny thing is, so my book is actually by the same author as Serena's Choice as well, Kyle McClear. Um, Isabel Arsenault and Kyle McClear have worked on two books together. So these are the two that we chose for today. Um, So just a little bit about the author. She lives in Toronto right now, um, but she is not just a children's author, actually. She also has three novels And she has published many different short stories, essays, and art criticism pieces. So she's also closely tied to the art world. Uh, She's currently on faculty with the Humber School of Writers and with the University of Guelph's Creative Writing Master's Program. So this book was published in 2010, and it was actually McClear's first picture book that she worked on. And when she talks about this book, she says that it is a lighthearted ode to her own mixed Japanese and British background, and she calls it a celebration of hybridity. Um, So before I read, I just wanted to mention where I found this book today. So because we are uh, spending a lot more time at home, uh, we aren't able to head out to the public library where we usually get many of our books. So I was looking around and I actually found this website called Epic. Now, I had heard of Epic before at schools. I know that there are quite a few teachers that use it, but I had never looked at it myself. So Epic has this great online catalog of all these different picture books and different types of stories. Um, I was actually able to make a free account as an educator and I looked into it and you can get a 30-day free trial. So for anyone that's looking for another thing to do at home, um, check out Epic. I know that a lot of um, school boards also do give free access to their students, so maybe take a look into that. You might get uh, access through your child. So, So here it is. This is Spork written by Kyle McClear and illustrated by Isabel Arsenault. Spork was neither spoon nor fork, but a bit of both. He had a mum and a dad who both thought he was perfect just the way he was.
but Spork stuck out. In his kitchen, forks were forks, and spoons were spoons. Cutlery customs were followed closely. Mixing was uncommon. Naturally, there were rule breakers. Knives who loved chopsticks, tongs who married forks. But such families were unusual. One day, after the billionth time he was asked, What are you anyway? And the zillionth time he was passed over when the table was being set. Spork sighed and thought, It must be easier to be a single thing. And he decided he'd try to pick just one thing to be. He thought he should start by fixing his head. He put on a bowler hat to look more spoonish. But the forks thought he was too round. Then he made a paper crown to look more forkish. But the spoons thought he was too pointy. Spork wondered if there were other lonely creatures out there with no matching kind who never got chosen to be at the table. And this is one of the illustrations I wanted to highlight. It's probably my favorite page in the book. Um, so Arsinoe had mentioned that she used uh, a mixed media approach to this book. Um, her illustrations are not just drawings, they're sketches um, and some watercolor and also some images that we see. It kind of looks like a, a piece of paper has been cut out and glued on over top. So we kind of see this different mixture um, of the way that pictures are coming together. So on this page, spoon, uh, spork, sorry. The spork is surrounded by all of these mismatched cutlery items. Uh, there is a rolling pin that has a corkscrew attached to the bottom of it. There is a pizza cutter that has a straw for a handle. There is a pie server that uh, has half a, mash pot a potato masher. <laughs> and my favorite one probably is there is a teapot that instead of a spout, it has a serrated bread knife. <laughs> So this is a really, really funny image. You should definitely take a look at it if you have the chance. So Spork laments. At dinner time, he watched from the drawer while the spoons played pea hockey and skillfully balanced boiled eggs. He sat off to the side while the forks raked fancy patterns in the mashed potatoes and twirled noodles around in complicated circles like rhythmic gymnastics. And at the end of this and every other meal, Spork looked on while others enjoyed a super bubbly bath in the sink after being used. Until one morning, a messy thing arrived. This messy thing had obviously never heard of cutlery customs or table manners. No, this messy thing smeared and spilled and flung and clumped and dripped without a care. Now it doesn't show anything specific in the illustration, but there is a big 
splash, a big red splash in the middle of the page and food flying everywhere. So we can think about what that messy thing might have been. And all of the cutlery, we see a picture of them all flying everywhere with bits of food and splatters all around them. And we continue with the book. That's when Spork landed. The messy thing saw Spork and immediately stopped and gurgled. It grabbed Spork and held him motionless in its fist. It tapped him once and let out a cheerful shriek. It wagged Spork excitedly up and down. And that's how Spork finally and happily found his way to the table. Just a bit round, just a bit pointy, just right. And we end with seeing a little sketched out baby holding the, holding the spork with a big smile on her face. The end. How sweet. <laughs> yeah, that book is just, it's so, it's so funny. I love how she gave these funny personalities and these whole lives to cutlery. I would have never thought that cutlery could be so entertaining. And it's funny that um, as somebody who had a spork back at my parents' house, I often wondered, similarly to the spork itself, what were those actually used for? Yeah. I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I really like that she took this idea of, you know, diversity and fitting in and kind of traditions and customs, but then took it to something that we would never really think of ourselves. Like I would never think to make a metaphor um, to cutlery for, you know, diversity and, and multiculturalism. Mm -hmm. It is a really creative idea. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the book, Serena? Yeah, I thought that that was such a clever metaphor. And I think that's sort of what you were saying before, Allison, with picture book authors having to be so uh, creative and so concise to just make the most impact with that short amount of text that they have. Mm -hmm. What a, yeah, just a, a brilliant idea. Yeah. So this idea that we see in the book of fitting in, you know, it's one that follows us our entire lives. And I'm wondering, how do you think books can help us kind of understand the ideas of conformity and, you know, trying to feel confident in who we are? How do you think books help us along this path as we grow up and deal with this struggle as, as the spork did? Well, I think that especially for, uh, for people who are going through their teen years or for, for children, I mean, that idea of conformity and fitting is so all-pervasive. Like the social pressures can be so immense that books can really offer a sense of companionship that occurs on a personal level. I mean, I know when I was growing up, it was oftentimes very difficult to deal with the social pressures that were going on in my friend group. And I would just come home and I had my, my book series, whether it was Bruno and Boots or Harry Potter or, I mean, any other book series like that. And I could just, I felt like I had a friend that... I could just, you know, it was just for me, right? I could have that relationship with the character, the relationship with their adventure or their experiences, and that I was a part of that. So it gave me almost an escape outside of that uh, social pressure and conformity that was occurring in our day-to-day -day lives. So it can really be 
a comfort and it can really be a, sort of a crutch for people who are dealing with issues of conformity and social pressures like that. I think that books can also give us the language to talk about um, some of these issues, like the the idea of feeling like you don't fit in, feeling like you're this odd mix that no one else understands or knows about. Not only are you seeing yourself represented in that story, you now have this shorthand to talk about how you're feeling. You can say, uh, maybe you couldn't put to words before those emotions, but now you can say, yes, that, that is how I feel, how Spork feels. That's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually thought that this book might be an interesting one to read, like with teenagers. I don't know how they would respond. I've never done it, but I thought it was kind of an interesting uh, take on that the spork is struggling and struggling to figure out where they fit in. And then they finally kind of found their place in the world, uh, you know, with this child that, that comes into the family. And I think that's an important thing to teach children and and young adults honestly adults as well that sometimes you know it's almost like the world isn't ready for you you know you're not gonna have perfect days and even sometimes you'll have a really difficult year in your life but there's always something coming that you know you will find that place and you will find that person or that club or that you know, interest in your life that you just connect with. And it kind of is like this rebirth. You kind of start your life over again and and things seem to just get better. So um, I'd be curious to see how teens react to this book and kind of see that message of like, you know, there's always going to be struggles in your life, but there's always things to make it better, even if you're not sure when that'll happen. I think teens would benefit from that uh, message too in this book about um, not not trying to be just one thing like Mm -hmm. spork talks about how he feels like he just doesn't fit in because he's both a spoon and a fork like how can you be two things at once and i think a lot of teens you know they get that that label associated with them or that they identify with they say okay i'm you know an athlete and they they don't feel that they can be other things. Mm-hmm. So presenting this idea in such an accessible way of, you know, you actually, you can be multiple things and that really can be a huge asset and a huge benefit. Like that little baby would not <laughs> be able to eat their meal without spork being many things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, that I, that word accessible Serena is so important. Picture books like this one offer a really great way to, to, discuss complex and sometimes difficult topics without having to actually get into them themselves. And I mean, children, young adults, youth, they really do learn through stories. So to be able to discuss uh, important issues, um, you know, that can be challenging, you know, for example, you know, like this one talks about, um, you know, differences and, and mixed families, etc or, you know, whether it's racism or sexism, those type of difficult conversations are much more accessible if they're told through a narrative form and told through a picture book. You can really, kids understand that a lot easier and a lot better if it's told through that that story form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so the song that I brought today, it also has a little bit of a metaphor that it kind of uses throughout. So I thought it, it worked really well with my book today. 
Um, so I brought in a song by the Born Ruffians. Uh, they're a Canadian group, and I was we were lucky enough to see them a few summers ago at uh, Elora River Fest, the music festival. And when they introduced this song, this always stuck with me. They said, this is a song for anyone that's been feeling like they're alone and they can't find their place in the world. Um, so this song is called Needle by the Born Ruffians. Enjoy. I belong to no one like the watermelon Rolling with momentum, spitting out its seeds Buried under snow and waiting just to show us How it goes and knows how yummy it will be I belong to no one, a song without an album Long forgotten maxim, spoken to the sea I belong with no
was Needle by Born Ruffians. So thank you so much to everyone for joining us today for another episode of Midtown Bookshelf. Today we were celebrating International Children's Book Day that happened on Thursday, April 2nd, and we were particularly looking at books that were illustrated by the great Canadian illustrator Isabel Arsenault, who is shortlisted for a Hans Christian Andersen Award this year. So we're looking forward to hearing the results and wishing her all the best of luck. So today we heard from Serena while she shared... Virginia Woolf by Kyle McClear. And Matt shared with us... The Cloth Lullaby by Amy Nevesky. And I read Spork by Kyle McClear. Well, we hope that you enjoy your week and look forward to seeing you again uh, next week on Sunday for another episode of Midtown Bookshelf. Ooh.